Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that. It's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a street smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hello there, it's Sarah Shaw with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA. And I am here today with Marlon LeWinter, who has been described in one word as a bulldog. He has over 15 years of experience in the PR industry, and he's really known for his ability to kind of power through and get it done and has a no-nonsense attitude and networking ability to produce smiles on clients' faces. And he's worked both at agencies and in-house with big companies um, he's had um, an unmatched placement ability, he all, which also includes, believe it or not, proposing to his wife on live television in the Orange Room on NBC's Today Show. And in fact, seeing that is what made me really want to speak to Marlon today. I've known him for a long time, and uh, that just kind of flipped me over the edge. Um, he's worked for huge companies like Under Armour and Microsoft, Dick Sporting Goods, Hugo Boss, Timex, um, for Venus Williams uh, with her Eleven company, um, and he has his own PR company now. And I'm super psyched to talk to him today because we're going to learn about his story and then also some out-of-the-box ideas and things about how you can pitch your products and kind of the do's and don'ts of talking to editors and um, TV personalities and all that kind of awesome stuff. So Marlon, welcome. So psyched to talk to you. Thank you, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. I've been a fan of you for a long time, as you know. I've listened to quite a bit of your podcast, and I really think you do a terrific job in engaging your audience. So I'm, I'm really Thank excited you. to chat. Thanks. Well, coming from a PR expert, that makes me feel awesome. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about one thing right off the bat. Okay, so sure. Bull, bulldog, right? So that's like the main thing like that you have in your bio and that you're kind of known as this bulldog. So I want to just kind of talk about that before we kind of get into your story about how you got into PR in the first place because I know you didn't just like wake up and be born and say, oh, I'm going to be a PR publicist. Um, so talk about kind of how how people know you as a bulldog and what that really means to you and, and how you kind of got that, you know, name. <laughs> sure. No, I think it's, it's a good point. You know, the industry that we're in, I think it's across all platforms, whether it be PR, marketing, advertising, journalism, whatever it is, like, you need to figure out a way to separate yourself from everyone else. You know, you can't just be a resume in a pile. You need to, to make sure that you're standing out in some capacity. And, and for me, it's always been my passion, my drive, my energy, my persistence. I refuse to give up. And I think that that's a message I always try to tell anyone that I come across. And quite honestly, I think it's really helped me a lot in business, especially being with my own company. Um, it, it's that you want to show people that you're always thinking about them and you'll do anything to, to get them what they need and, and make sure that they're happy because great results are going to lead to more business and great recommendations to other people. Um, so it's all about that passion and that drive. And it, it's, it's been instilled in me for a long time. I, I don't even drink coffee. I only drink water or unsweetened iced tea. So this energy comes from just me loving what I do every single day. Um, my dream was to work in sports. Um, I grew up um, on Long Island, my uh, huge, 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 huge hockey fan, New York Islanders. And my dad had season tickets, and we'd go to all these games. And um, my dad had knee surgery when I was eight. And where we would go to rehab would be the same place all the New York Islanders would rehab. So for me, it was so cool as an eight-year-old kid to have my Game Boy, totally aging myself right now, but would have my Game Boy out, and I'd be with my dad, and, and all the Islanders would be there. So it's Saturday morning, and I'd be watching them on the ice that night, and they're talking to me, and they're playing my Game Boy. And I'm like, how cool would it be to be around athletes? And my dream was to be a sports broadcaster. And, and you know, like everybody, you know, your, your, your job is going to take you. are going to go through a lot of different paths in life. Um, but I, I just wanted to share that and be around sports athletes. My, my, that was like what I, what I thought was the coolest thing in the world. So it's what Heck got yeah. me into this. 
industry. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like what we do, right? Every day we wake up and, you know, you never want that pit in your stomach on a Sunday night and be like, oh, my God, I have work the next day for the next five days. You know, no one wants to feel that way. And my, my parents' friends, you know, they'd be sitting around at a party and they'd all say, like, oh, my God, I, I got to head home. I, you know, I got to cut my Sunday short. I have work tomorrow. I got to get in the mood. And, you know, I know that we're all going to feel that way. But any way that I can, if, I, if I'm going to have to work in my lifetime, I want to do something that I love because that's not work. Exactly. That's joy, right? When you totally. jump out of bed in the morning, you're like, all right, what's the world bringing me today? <laughs> oh, my God, for sure. I'm like that. It probably drives my wife crazy because I'm so enthusiastic. She's like, can I just go back to sleep? It's the weekend, yeah. please. <laughs> like, get up, get up, get up. I have a great idea. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's true. It's like that. And, and I think that, that bulldog mentality comes from, you know, never stopping, never yeah. being satisfied, always wanting more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's been like that literally my, my entire career. Like, I didn't have the best grades growing up. Um, you know, I, I worked really hard. I studied really hard. But, you know, I'm, I'm cracking like 70s grades, maybe low 80s, and, you know, the, the input wasn't equaling the output. So I knew that I'd always have to work just harder than everyone else and that I wasn't going to quit. I was going to continue to do it. And when I applied for colleges, it was the same thing. I, I looked at 11 different schools. My parents were so great. They took me to all of them to visit. Every other weekend, I was going to visit these schools to see what was the right fit. Because at the end of the day, right, that right fit is so important. Just like with, with mm-hmm. anything, with a job, with, with with school, you want to make sure you're in, in the right place, you're buying a house, whatever it is, you want to feel comfortable. And um, when I went to Quinnipiac, I loved the school. I thought it was beautiful. I just didn't think my grades were good enough to get in. And I sat with the, the head of admissions and I said, I promise you, if you let me in, I will make a difference here. Like, I want to be here. What do I need to do to make it happen in this school? And he told me later on that he was just so impressed that I, I, I came in there with this attitude that I just wanted to better myself. Mm-hmm. I, had, I actually had a lot of the same experience getting into college, too. I wasn't a super genius at high school, and I think it was more that I didn't apply myself. I was so bored, you know. And, yeah, um, and, and I was, you know, and I'm sure I was bored because I am a fourth-generation entrepreneur, and I probably had it in my blood and didn't really know what to do with it or anything like that. And uh, unlike my brothers who both started jobs when they were, I mean, their own businesses when they were like eight, um, really? I, I, oh, yeah. They had uh, uh, bicycle building businesses and then went on to like fixing motorcycles and then cars and then now they're both big builders and solar inst- installers and things like that. But um, yeah, yeah, they've That's always... That's very cool because entrepreneurship, I'm sorry to cut you off, but totally, you yeah. know this, entrepreneurship wasn't like if I knew that was a major I can have now in school, like yeah. I'd be all for that. Like we weren't, when you were an entrepreneur, you, you were looked upon differently, right? You're totally. a doctor, a lawyer. Kind of a, a cop out, right? It was sort of a yeah. cop out thing. Yeah. Totally. And now it's like the hippest thing to be because I mean, you know, both of us are, both of us are too old to have gone to school when they had entrepreneur <laughs> programs. <laughs> but you know, I think it's such an amazing thing that they actually teach this now. And the only thing that I have negative to say about it is that, unfortunately, most of the teachers who are teaching it don't have any actual hands-on experience with entrepreneurship. Um, some of them do, but for the most part, you know, they're just teaching a class about how to, you know, do your finances or how to start a business or things like that. So I think that it's important to listen to, you know, podcasts like this one and other entrepreneurial-based podcasts and learn as much as you can from the people who are actually in the trenches. So Absolutely. Um, you, you learn through experience. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'd rather – I don't want to read a book and learn about finances. I want to experience it firsthand and be able to see where, right. where I make mistakes. And, I mean, my dad always said, like, you want to make mistakes in life because yep. it's only going to teach you. Exactly. Fail forward, right? Yeah, 100%. So I'm with you. <laughs> But, but I'm so excited. I mean, really, like you, you, like even like talking to you anytime, just a regular conversation or this podcast, it's just you're very, you and you inspire a lot and you, you get people to, to really, and I can see why your audience really enjoys listening to you because you really truly like, care and you're excited about what you do. And that is the most important thing. Do you know how many people in this world hate what they do? They go to work every day and they, they dread it. They, they, yep. and it's, it's, 
that's not a way to live a life. You, you can't mm-hmm. live a life like that. You know, you need to take the bull by the horns and, and figure out a way to make happiness. And happiness only comes from, from within. No one can right. make you happy. You need to define that happiness yourself. Exactly. And it's funny. I think that a lot of people think that, as, think that in their business that getting PR is actually going to make them happy, right? And, yep. and, and I used to think that too when I started my first accessory company and I didn't know, you know, I came from working in film. I knew nothing about the fashion world really. I mean, I did costumes for movies, but the only thing I knew about fashion was whatever period I was working on in the movie that I was doing. Could have been 1930s, could have been super, you know, sci-fi, could have been, you know, 1980s, you know, 2000, whatever, whatever year, whether it was current or future or past. And, and so, but I didn't know anything about actually running a business, you know. And, and I think that when people, it seemed to me like, I was like, oh my God, I just got into a magazine or, you know, the LA Times came and wrote about me, you know, as a new up and coming designer or something like that. And I, and I realized quickly that it's such a, um, uh, like a, it's such a surge, right? You get this huge high from seeing your name in the paper or your picture in a magazine or whatever it is or just your product in there and that that can also fuel, fuel, fuel your, your fire, right, to keep your business going. And it's such a, um, a, it's a public display of people's approval of you. In a, in yeah, a sense, for sure. Right? And, and it gives you that cachet. It gives you credibility. It shows people that you're, you know, a, a business that's worth writing about, right? And people have this perception, right, that anybody, anything worth writing about is probably better than something that isn't being written about. Right? So if you have a competitor or something like that, right, people think, oh, wow, there's, there's an article about this person or there's a picture of their product in a magazine or something like that. Um, or an article about the person, the personality, you know, whatever kind of business you have, whether it's service or product-based, but, but that that takes you to a different level in your business, right? So that you, it, it, I think it boosts, it can boost your passion for your business too in a new, into a new level of, of seeing yourself in print or on TV or whatever it is that will kind of help you keep going and fuel the fire, um, Absolutely. You know, but PR, I think some people don't understand the value of PR and, you know, it's, it's like anything in business. You have to spend money to make money. Um, PR can help in a lot of different ways. You know, you know, what separates certain products from others? Maybe people walk down the aisle at a store and they see like the marketing coloring and, oh, this product looks cool or, oh, I love where this is positioned. Well, that's more on the marketing side, but on the PR side, are people talking about that? Um, you know, women tend to gravitate, you know, according to a lot of research I've done, women tend to gravitate towards a lot of brands that give back in some sort of mm-hmm. way um, because they feel a, an emotional connection um, to the product and some, some men too. Um, but I think it's, you know, most of the research shows that, that a majority of it is, is women that gravitate towards that um, charitable component. And I think at, at the end of the day, like, you know, what's most important about your brand is, is the way it's perceived, um, especially now on, on the world of social media, things mm-hmm. very, very quickly can travel. And it's not like back in the day where, you know, you get a placement in a magazine and, and the average person reading that magazine doesn't realize that it was placed three months ago in the magazine and, you know, it was the summer issue, but they started working on the summer issue in February. And, right. you know, the excitement was to go rush over to the to the stand and open up the newspaper and see that print on the page and frame it on your wall and it was all exciting. Now, you know, you want to gravitate more towards that social aspect, the shareable content, something that you can um, link back to, you know, how many shares, how many likes, how many retweets, um, are, 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 you know, are people, you know, was there, are people driving to my website because they saw this particular article? Where did I see a spike? You know, all the analytics now, and it, a lot of it's, it's on the PR side. The, the PR element is, is so very important to a brand, you know, at certain points. You know, if you're, if you're a startup brand, it, it really depends how established you truly are because if you're just getting publicity out there just to get your name and it's not driving any sort of traffic to your site or to your product or to your, you know, whatever it is that you are promoting, then in that case PR is not really needed. But I think in this world, 
everybody needs PR. And quite honestly, it's up to you. You are your brand as well. No one's going to go out there and, you know, people may say that Energized Media is this great agency, um, and I really like working with Marlon, but they need to see me on the front lines. My name is one thing. Maybe will get me in the door, but reputation is everything. And it's that hard work, that passion, that drive. You tell somebody you're going to get back to them, you're going to get back to them. You don't forget about it. You, you make mm-hmm. sure the following up is so important. You know, I've always, I, I interned for Bob Wolf, um, recently passed away. Uh, he was the longest running sportscaster in the history of television. Um, he interviewed everyone from presidents to Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, sports figures, you name it. And um, Bob was working at News 12 Long Island, and that was my first internship. And he said to me, you get one chance to make a good first impression. I was the mm, first exactly. one to arrive. And one, one chance, that's it. You know, you can't take that back. Um, and, and very few people truly understand that, whether it's social mm-hmm. content. People have their stuff everywhere. On the, you, know, you get one chance to let people see who you truly are. Um, so on the PR element, you know, I strongly believe that you are your own brand and you need to make that relevant to what, what's important. You need to, to, to be able to be out there presenting who you are. I totally agree. And, you know, it's funny, you know, hearing you talk about your first internship was at a TV station, right, with this guy? Yeah, he was a sports and, director. And- Right. And, and so, you know, in television and just like my first job out of college was working in film. And one of the things that I, you know, have always admired about you is your don't take no for an answer. Right. And that's always been my, my mantra. Right. Don't take no for an answer. Keep bugging them until they tell you to, you know, F off or just delete themselves or block you or whatever. Right. And, you got it. You can't uh, give up. I mean, Yeah, I mean, not, you know, until they just tell you, I am never going to do this or never going to buy anything from you or I'm never going to write about you or whatever, right? So, uh, and then I always put them on a list for like to contact six months or a year later. (laughs) Of course, you have to because even if they say no, you will figure out a way. The people, and and you you asked before about a bulldog personality, that's what it's all about. You need to stay persistent. That's like, such a key term, I think, to anybody, yeah. but, but I totally didn't mean to go off on a tangent. Keep, keep going. Well, so what, but what I was going to say is I'm wondering if for you, because I know for me, because my first job for, you know, I worked 12 years in the film business and that was my very first job, you know, when I got out of college when I was 21. And, um, and for me, I, that's where I learned that, you know, do never take no for an answer. There is always a way around it. You know, just keep going, find the next source. You know, if that person says no, then go to the next person on the list, right? Always have a list of who you can go to until there's, you know, you've literally exhausted the entire world, right? And then figure out who else you can ask. <laughs> and, and that was sort of how I was trained you know, as a, as a young kid, right? Just that was my, my film training. And so I think, you know, for me, that's why I relate so well to, you know, to you being a bulldog, because that's just how I was trained as well. And I'm wondering if that, if you can sort of attribute that as well to your early days working in the studios and working with these sportscasters who were obviously in television. And again, you know, they, they're like, I want to talk to so-and-so. And you're like, wow, okay. You know, and like, that's going to be tough or whatever. And then you're like, I can't take no, there's no no for an answer. I'm going to keep calling this person or doing, you know, going to get coffee for that person or whatever they tell you to do. And I'm wondering if that was sort of, do you think that that maybe is kind of where you got that mentality? Yeah. You know, you bring up a very interesting point. Um, yes. Um, at the end of the day, in the PR world, I'm judged on placements, right? A client will hire me, mm-hmm. do work for them to get their brand out there. And it's the right placement. It's understanding who that target audience is and understanding who you want to impact. And um, because I'm judged on that element, I, I work so hard to make sure that I'm, I'm getting them that result they needed. Not everything is going to translate, but I think even telling a client, hey, I reached out to these six outlets, reached out to these five different people at the outlets. Here's what they had to say. I think the clients appreciate that 
as much as getting the placement themselves. Sure, they love to make sure they see their name in print or their brand campaign or whatever it is that, they, that they're looking to get. But they also see that I'm not just saying, no, nah, they, they passed, they said no. Everything in life is about the persistence. I'm going to give you two interesting quick stories that I think you'll appreciate and, and I think the audience will also appreciate was um, in, in, in PR um, and, and in broadcast too, there's a term called SMT, Satellite Media Tour. And essentially, a spokesperson will be hired to sit in a studio somewhere and that same person will appear on the Fox affiliate in Phoenix, Arizona and the CBS affiliate in Dallas, Texas and the ABC affiliate in in New Mexico, and, but they're all in the same place. Um, they're mm. all in that one studio in New York, and you typically would get a spokesperson for a two-hour block of time, and you'd book 15 or so interviews for them during that time period. And the best time for, typically for these spokespeople, this is again back in the day, would be on morning shows. That was when they would be able to get their messaging out there. So if you're working with a celebrity or an athlete or whatever it is, and if they're working with a brand, Here's a way to get your message across to a lot of different, lot of different audiences at once. And um, in order to get these morning show producers, these, they come in early in the morning, right? The show may be from 5 to 7 a.m. or 5 to 9 a.m., depending on what the network is. But the producers are getting there at 10 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night to plan for that morning show. So I remember mm. I so badly was working with Richard Petty to promote some NASCAR initiative. And I woke up at 3 in the morning, and I called up the ABC affiliate in Phoenix, Arizona, and I booked him on a media tour, and I was so incredibly excited. He was, I was at my job for three days, and they were saying, oh, for satellite media tours, you've got to really get these morning show producers you know, bright and early. And I was like, well, here's the best time to do it. I went to bed. I woke up. I set my alarm, and I, I sent an email. And I remember my boss wrote me back and said, I'm so excited to have you on my team. I get excited sending emails at 3 in the morning. And it wasn't <laughs> to promote, a, it wasn't to send um, a message that there's no work-life balance. It's just I was so passionate about getting that placement for Richard Petty on that ABC affiliate that I was going to do everything that I can and to be able to, to share that with my team and say, you know what, we're going to make this happen. And, right. and that was very exciting for me. I bet. And I totally, I can totally relate to that because if you get up and do that, you can always take a nap later. A hundred percent. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I do a lot of business with China, you know, with my clients and manufacturing and stuff. And, you know, they, they start to come alive at about, you know, seven or eight o'clock at night, my time. Right. And yeah. they, you know, so I tend, you know, I find that I'm on and off email during the night or before I go to bed, I check the, you know, check email to make sure they don't have questions because I don't, otherwise I hold them up for a whole day. Right. So, you know, there's, there's things you have to do and, and things you have to not, not necessarily sacrifice, but make an effort to produce things at the time they need to be produced. And it's not like, well, I go to bed every night at nine, so I can't do that. You know, yes, and it's you like, well, so how, right. how badly do you want your business to work? If you want it to work and China's open after 9 p.m., you're going to need to take a nap during the day and stay up till midnight. You know? Yeah, we don't have, you know, we don't have those nine to five jobs. I don't think that nine no. to five jobs even exist anymore, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have that. But no. I think all this I worked with, you know, you, you, you talked about before, I, I've been very lucky. I've worked with a lot of different brands, and I worked at the agencies. I've worked in-house, and, and being able to work with a, a variety of different clients, you know, helps you learn about how to deal with people, and it shows what works for different people and what doesn't work. So, you know, when I worked with, um, with, with Under Armour, fortunately for nine years I worked with them as a brand, and they were such a cool brand. I helped to launch footwear at Super Bowl, um, which, which was a really cool experience. And then everything from I, had a, I was fortunate enough to go to Asia with Stephen Curry and our CEO, Kevin Plank, to help launch the Curry 2s to the Asian audience. And it was so cool to be able to do that, especially when you're an agency and the client has that much trust in you to send you to Asia, you know, mm -hmm. where you, you know, and I used to say I, I have basically, I, I felt like an Under Armour employee without an Under Armour email address. And through right. that, I learned so much about, you know, making sure that, you know, the client service element is there and you're taking care of what your client's needs are. All of that is, is so important. So I, I hope that the key message people take away from some of this today is the persistence, the passion, 
the energy, the finding what you love, all those are such key attributes in order to be able to, to really make it in this world. It doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter you know, what you did, uh, what you got on your SATs. Those intangibles, you cannot teach them to a person. You either have them or you don't. You're born with it right. or you're not. All right, I totally agree. <laughs> um, I've had that conversation with a lot of other entrepreneurs as well. Um, so hey, I want to touch on one thing. So you're talking uh, you know, about persistence and, and keeping on top of things. And so how do you decide and like, what kind of advice do you have? Like let's say someone is pitching themselves to you know, their product to Real Simple Magazine or something. And you know they've they've read a column and they really like this editor and know that they you know think that they'd be interested in including their product you know in in one of the columns that they do. So how often do you follow up with people? Like what is what is the level of persistence and what becomes the level of annoyance? Yeah, you know it's a question I get all the time, and I think people. You know, I mentor a lot of college students at Quinnipiac where I where I went to school, and I tell them. Thing. They say, like, when they're applying for jobs, like, well, when is too much of a follow-up or, or when is, should I hold back a little bit? And I think it's, it's all a, you get a feel for it, and the more you do it, you get a feel for it. In the sense of the PR element, um, I, t I always tell a client, like, well, what is your target audience? Like, where are you looking to be? Because you may have seen somebody in Real Simple write something, right? But because they've already written about that, they may have just written about that as a one-off. They may not continuously do that. And I think a lot of times clients see, oh, I saw, this, I saw this writer once wrote something on this, or they once wrote about me. They're going to write about me again. It doesn't always work like that. Um, and I think to, in order to, to get back to people, you have to figure out like, when's the best time to approach them. Do they prefer email? Do they like texting? Do they like phone calls? Do they like things written out in um, paragraph form? Do they rather bullet points? And I think some of this just stems from you getting to know people. I, I take tremendous pride in relationships. Every single um, media member, every single client, every single person I try to encounter, they have a story. Everyone's got a story. And I want to learn a little about them. Relationships are a two-way street. I don't want to go to somebody when I need something. I want to be a resource for them also to know like, hey, I can call Marlon. You know, maybe you can point me in the right direction for this. Because that's the important part. That's truly what a relationship is. It's a back and forth, a give and take. So um, I, I really spend a lot of time trying to find out when's the best time to reach you and you know, do you mind if I follow back up with this and what are you currently working on? And also like, what's going on in your personal life? When I was younger, I used to keep a notebook and I would write in the notebook every person I met with. You know, I, I was just graduated college. I was trying to apply for jobs. So I'd get connected to someone, and is this a good time to reach you? Oh, actually, it's not. It's my son's first um, baseball game of the season or my daughter's first soccer game. Can you give me a call next week? Sure. And I'd make note of it. So the next time I speak to him was, hey, how was that baseball game or how was that soccer game? And I'm not doing it because I'm like, I want to kiss up to them. I'm doing it because I really care. I want to learn. I want to hear what they have to say because we're all human. It helps humanize the conversation. Every conversation that you have with someone, people want to feel that they're being listened to. No one just wants to hear someone talk about themselves. When, if you do talk about yourself, how can you apply it to make it work for somebody else? You know, it's easy to tell, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. Well, that's great, but here's how it can help you. And that's ultimately what you want to try to get out. And, and I know that you want to get that out of your podcast. You want your listeners to feel, hey, like, I really got something out of this. I feel good. Or they can make reference to it. Or I was reading an article the other day about, you know, somebody who, who posted on Facebook um, an article from, from Fast Company that talked about, like, if a client didn't want to pay them the same retainer that they were making. And the person made a reference to the article and said, this article was great. I applied some of this to my conversation, and, and, and it worked out really positively for me. And mm -hmm. that was so cool to hear. So, you know, um, to go back to your original question, like when do you know? It's just that right feel. And it's the same thing for, for a college student. If they're applying for a job, or, or even if, if you may be in the industry for 15, 20 years, when you're applying for a job, When's it enough to follow up? You put yourself into their shoes. How would I feel if someone was sending me an email constantly? Or you know what? 
I also say to myself, I'm a type A personality. I want to be around the people that share the same passion and drive and energy as me. This person really wants it. They've called me every single day. They've emailed me every single day. Clearly, they're interested as opposed to the person that, that, that says, hey, I'll follow up in a couple of weeks. Because in a couple of weeks, right. the job might already be filled. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's, so it's really more you have to kind of go with your gut on it and see sort of what's working for you and think about how you'd want to have, it's sort of how you'd want to be treated yourself. Always. Yeah. You yeah. always have to put yourself into the other person's shoes. Yeah. And, and so do you, th- do you think it's, so I mean, I know obviously because you're a publicist, you value your relationships with these editors and you work them and, you know, and are in constant com- communication with them, you know, especially when you get a new client or, you know, and it's an appropriate match. Um, always, but, always. But what about like, you know, when you're a relatively new product company, right, you're selling handbags, for example, and, you know, you really want to pitch it to, um, you know, to Real Simple or to, um, you know, Mary Claire or something because they, you know, you know that they do like a handbag roundup or something, you know, once a year. Um, and, you know, do you think that once, once you've, you know, if you kind of can tell when it is every year, usually it's in the early fall, September, October, you know, and you start pitching them in, you know, May or something. And, um, and do you think that it's fair to say at that point, you know, that if, they, if you can tell that they've opened your emails and they can, you know, you can see from tracking and stuff or, you know, you use a, a you know, a marketing tool so you can see all that stuff. I mean, is it, is it fair to say that you can, you know, give them and you don't know them at all, right? So it's, it's hard to, you know, like how, how do you go about starting to build that relationship, I guess, is what yeah, I'm getting Yeah, that's, it's a great question. Um, I, I really try to introduce myself to people. And I would just maybe shoot an email and, you know, hey, I've been reading some of your work. You make reference to a couple of the articles that you really enjoyed. And I think people genuinely see if you're interested or not. And you just say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm working, you know, the example you gave with this, this brand new handbag company. Um, it's my company. I, I'd love to just share a little bit of info if you're interested. And keep it at that. And if they mm-hmm. don't get back to you, then in a couple of weeks maybe, or, or a week and a half, two weeks later, depending on what your time frame is, you reach back out to them and say, hey, once again, i just not sure if you saw this. It may have gotten lost in the shuffle. You know, can I send you a couple of information? Can I send you some bullets of information on it? Can I, can I send you a bag to test out yourself? Can I um, hop on a call and just fill you in on some stuff? You know, when you're in a more established brand, it's probably a little easier. People are probably excited and they want to hear about sure. it. And you have to, you have to cut, cut through the clutter and let people see that, you know, some of the things that you, you may have the next coolest product. And all you need is one person. Just like in, right. in life, you know, you need one person to, to say yes. And, you know, then you could take that and you, could, you can merchandise that. Hey, I'm not sure if you saw, but I thought you might be excited. Marie Claire has been writing about us, and I'm excited to share it with you. you know, what do you think? Because I think in the world that we live in now, I can tell you how great my product is, but I need you to experience it, and you need to mm-hmm. test it out, and you need to let me know. And it's not just about getting free stuff and letting people say, oh, this is great. Send it to me. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Like, I genuinely want feedback because if I have a new product, and if I'm telling you it's the greatest thing and you write about it, and then your readers write into you and say, hey, why are you promoting this product? This is terrible. Then you're going to look at me and not be able to trust me. So right. the, wor- the world we live in, you have to let people feel like they can have a say and that they can provide you their feedback. It's all about the customer. At the end of the day, you know, you always you have one – the customer is the person that's going to continuously purchase your product. And you need to make sure that your customer is, is up to speed and appreciates what you have and, and wants to hear what you have to say. I totally agree. Um, right. It just, it's, sort of, it's sort of a uh, an, an add-on these days with the way, you know, with social media and, you know, what you were saying about analytics and all that stuff that we didn't used to have, like in the old days of big ad agencies and stuff. And it's, you know, their whole thing was the customer is always right. Yep. Right, and and now we're like the customer always needs to be talking about your product. Always, um, you you have to you be know. front and center all the time, and it's what have yeah. you done for me lately, right? That's right. That's sort of in in PR. I can't hang my hat on getting placements here or getting placements there. I need to show people consistent work, 
And I also Mm -hmm. need to show people how excited and passionate and how truly appreciative I am about what they're providing me with. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in in this world, like, you try to follow, you try to to do business with brands that you really value or appreciate or have an understanding for. You know, I'm a big fitness guy. I love sweets. I know it counteracts with each other, but I still love (laughs) them. But but I'm so passionate about certain things, and those are the brands I tend to gravitate more towards because if it's a Mm -hmm. part of my life, then I'm really, you know, selling you in on something that I truly believe in. You know, and, right. and I, I look at some of the clients that I work with, and I truly feel that way about it. Um, it, it, it they're a part of my lifestyle, and I want to be a true client partner. I don't want to just be their PR guy. I want right. to be an ally to them. I want them to look at me and, and feel that I'm a trusted advisor. Right. Oh, I totally, 100% agree. I just, you know, people sometimes call me, and they're like, would you be willing to work with me in my product? You know, and, if, and I always am looking at the product first before I ever even talk to the person because if I don't feel passionate about the product, I know that I won't be able to help them because I won't be coming from that place of passion and, and desire to be a part of their company in, in that same way. Yep. I, I wouldn't care if they were offered me a million dollars. It wouldn't matter because I wouldn't have that coming from the inside. And I wouldn't even be able to come up with any ideas for them. <laughs> you're, um, but you're so right. You're, you're so yeah. right. It's so important for people to realize that align with what you truly believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, want, I, I want to know that if people have to say something about me, that they're going to say I'm honest, hardworking, passionate, and driven. Yeah. I want people to say, like, you know, he really cares. And just like yeah. my relationship with you, I really care about working with you. I want to know about you. I want to learn about your life. I also want to learn about what you like and what you don't like. If I, if I send you a client and you say this isn't the right fit, I don't want you to think I'm just blindly sending you something. I want to be that, a resource to you. Right, and, exactly. You know, like there's, there's, few, there's not a lot of people in this world that, that, that take the pride in their job that they should. And, you know, I, I, I really have always been taught, like, you know, back to that, you get one chance to make a first impression. Like, you want people to remember you for the pride that you take in what you do. Exactly. That's, that's one of my mantras. <laughs> you have by some good mantras. I like them. Yeah. I, I mean, well, you and I think so much alike, you know, and that's why I just love working with you, and I love the people that you send my way, and I know that, and I know that the people that you work with are genuine people, like that they also are very passionate about what they do, and I know that if they weren't, they wouldn't be your client because that's not how you roll. And, and so you can totally tell, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that person totally is awesome for Marlon because of X, Y, Z or whatever it is, you know, and that their passion is about what they do is at such a high level and that they are, it's so, it just rolls off their tongue. You can ask them anything. They don't. Uh, hesitate at all about, you know, talking about aspects of their business. And I think that, you know, especially with people who, when you talk to people who are new in business, right, that they, you know, sometimes hesitate or they, you know, don't really know exactly what to say because they're, they're more worried about saying the wrong thing. You know, and I, I kind of always use this as an example. Like when I first started my handbag company, I I got, a year two, I got some sales reps, a big sales rep company in New York. And I go to New York for my first trade show, and I am just like greener than green at this point. They really didn't give me any pointers. You know, they supplied some shelves. They're like, here's your booth. Just decorate it and do whatever. And I was like, okay. You know, <laughs> so I set everything out. And then, you know, the one, and then the next morning, the show opens at 9. And I'm standing in my booth, and, you know, and they're kind of overseeing the whole thing. You know, there's, like, signs for their, bo- you know, their showroom and everything. And um, so this buyer comes into my booth, and she was like, good morning. You know, I love your line. So what are your best sellers? And I just looked at her like, dude, the show opened 30 seconds ago. I can't possibly <laughs> tell you what that is. And I know I had that look on my face, and I just, this sheer panic, right? And, you know, and so, and I was like, well, you know, and I don't know what I said, right? This was so long ago, but it wasn't the right thing. It was just something, you know, I don't know. I was really flustered and didn't know what to say and, you know, went running over to my sales rep after 
And I was like, you didn't tell me that I'm supposed to know the answer to this. And, you know, and they were like, oh, well, we didn't even think of it. But, I mean, don't you know what your best sellers are? And I'm like, this is the first time I'm showing this to anybody. Like, it's January or whatever, right? Nobody's even seen my spring collection yet. Oh, you know, and they just looked at me like I was just a complete, you know, blubbering idiot, which I really was, but it wasn't my fault because nobody trained me with that, right? I didn't know what I was doing. And so yeah, they taught me how to, they, right, they taught me how to develop a pitch, you know, because I'd never pitched it before. I mean, I'd been selling my own products for a year, but I was probably like, oh, hey, it's Sarah Shaw, and I have this new line, and I'd love to um, send you my line sheet, because, of course, it was all by snail mail. And, um, you know, I paid some guy to do, like, you know, some Photoshop thing because I didn't even really know what that was at that point. And, um, you know, there was no such thing as online lookbooks or anything. No, and, it's changed uh, so online much. Online was, right? like, just getting going. Yeah, and um, my kids were like, how did you survive without Google? <laughs> and um, so it's, you know, so, they, so learning those techniques and feeling comfortable about talking you know, talking points about your products or your business, um, you know, whether or talking about yourself and how you got started, you know, even people fumble over, oh, what is my story? You know, how did I get here? Um, and I think that all those things, you know, are so important to learn in, in, in how to talk about your business and how to pitch it, right? And whether, whether you're pitching it yourself or even if somebody was talking to you, right, you know how to get it out of people. Like if they're, you know, you're like, hey, tell me your story. And then they're like, well, you know, I was uh, really interested in this when I was a kid, and then I decided to start a business about it. <laughs> you know, and you're probably sitting yeah. there looking at them like, wow, it's a you, No, you are sorry. <laughs> you know, and then it's teaching them, right, you know, and all that media training and teaching people how to – you know, not embellish in a the right way, messaging. but the right, but right the, the messaging and how, how they want to project their brand and how they want to look and are they the right spokesperson for their brand? Because some people aren't, right? They, they can't be the spokesperson for their brand because either of the way they look or the way they feel about themselves or they're the wrong age demographic. Um, you know, it would be like if um, you know, somebody old invented something for little kids and they're like a grandma four, four times over, they might not be the best spokesperson. Spokesperson, for a, yeah. You, you know, and, and they, you know, yeah, and, and so it's kind of coming up, you know, part of I'm assuming what you do, yeah, is looking at all those different aspects that make kind of that PR package, right, of what is going to sell the, the brand the best whether it's to always stores, always. people, website, media. Yeah. You have to position it best, you know, like, and it's different and different brands operate different ways. Under Armour might be different than a Dick's Sporting Goods or an Xbox or Timex. You know, Timex had a pretty cool program I worked on. Um, it was for the New York City Marathon. They were a sponsor of the marathon. And, um, you know, people would, would – Timex was a brand that, that people like, knew about, but they weren't so popular anymore. That, mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. We had to make them a little more relevant again. And Takes a licking we, and keeps on ticking. Yeah, that's right. That was, a big, that was a big push way back when. Right. And yeah. um, the, the cool part about it was my, my, the team I worked on, uh, they came up with a really cool idea that why doesn't Timex, um, they bring on a spokesperson, and that spokesperson will start the race dead last. And every person that they pass, Timex will donate $1 to the New York Roadrunners Youth Program. And it was a really cool idea because it, it really created a, a point of differentiation for the brand. Like, imagine the, starting the, the New York City Marathon with the amount of runners that run in that, and you're starting dead last. You're actually the last yeah. person. And <laughs> the, first, the first year they did it, they brought on Amani Toomer, who was a New York, uh, former New York Giant. A football player, um, the reason they brought him on was because Timex had a partnership with, you know, the Timex Performance Center where the Giants practiced, so it made sense to help get that out. And a lot of the sports media wrote about Imani Toomer and interviewed him and talked to him about him and his program. And, you know, and it was interesting, but you hit a very specific audience with that. The following year, Timex said, well, how do we become a little more mainstream, like outside of just a, a sports realm. So we identified Jenny Finch, the former Olympic softball player, as a perfect fit. And she was she just had her, gave birth to her second child. She wrote her first book. She was a mother of now two. She was um, training to get back into shape. 
she, you know, there, there was a lot to talk about there. And Jenny was able to really get that messaging out there and really hit that target audience, you know. And also what was cool about it was, you know, the, the watch, the Timex watch allowed you to train from, a, you know, you have a train, it's like a, a trainer on your wrist, right? But we mm. set her up with a coach who was based in California and Jenny lived in Louisiana and she was able to upload her workouts and then have weekly conference calls with her trainer to be able to go over the, you know, how she was doing distance-wise. And that was really cool, the program itself, because it really created conversation. You know, as a brand, right. you want to create that sustainability. You don't want to, you, it's great if you come up with some great news and you're in the news on Tuesday, but on Friday, people forgot about you by then. You know, how do yeah. you create that sustainability and get people to continue to want to talk about your product or your brand or your platform? So it, it, it's always interesting to see how different clients um, want to operate, but um, I've had a lot of experience and fun engaging with, you know, a lot of different creative ways and creative ideas and some, some very cool just memories just in the industry. And I really honestly feel so fortunate to be here and in it and, and the way I got into it, you know, it's it's a it's a crazy story how I got into this industry, but it kinda of shows that, that bulldog mentality. I um I was twenty two, I saved up all my money, I flew out to California for the major league baseball winter meetings. I just figured since I want to work in sports, the winter meetings they have a job fair there. It might be really cool to engage with people. This was in two thousand and four. And I had a contact at Major League Baseball who got me a rate a media rate for the hotel. So I didn't know anybody, but I had my my um, suitcase was full of gym clothes, two suits, and then 75 resume packets. LinkedIn wasn't around, but I had my in my parents' old house, the basement there was this old wobbly ping pong table, and it was like an assembly line. And I had five recommendation letters and an article I wrote for the school newspaper, and I highlighted my name in in the byline, and I had business cards made up and I had, you know, um, very special folders that I had bought from Staples and I made sure that the, the paper clip was in the exact same place in the corner of uh, this entire packet and then I would type up these envelopes because at the end of the day, who gets things in the mail anymore? And I tried to really separate myself. So when I came back from, you know, I, I sat in the lobby for five days just networking out there and I made all these new contacts and I started sending out all my, all these, um, you know, portfolios that I that I created, and that engaged in conversation, but that was my way of being creative and making myself mm -hmm. stand out, just like I try to get my brands to figure out ways that they can make themselves stand out. That's amazing. I mean, it's, I, I love how you think out of the box, too, you know, and, and, that, um, and, and that how important that is, you know, and it's like looking, looking at all the different ways that you can expose yourself, <laughs> your clients, their businesses, uh, products that they might sell, and all these different ways to kind of keep circling around, right? It's like, let's just say the PR is a pie, right? And instead of just going at it full force, right, and seeing how many bites you can take out of it, you've got it divided into so many different little slices. And that, you know, if one's not working, then you go to the next one. If that's not working, you go to the next. Oh, that's working great. You go back to it, you know, or do it again next month. And that you're constantly moving things around and, um, and seeing what's working. And also it's that, you know, that entrepreneur hustle, but also the ability to flip-flop when you need to, right, and be able to say, oh, that's not working or this is working, and then either continue or, or be able to jump onto the next thing. And I know that you're so good at that, and you know, just come. It comes from experience. <laughs> Thank you. No, you can't be scared. Yeah. You can't take. I mean, I've been shot down a lot. I mean, even this is this is actually really funny. Um, and, and I'll send this to you offline. But um, I for my um for our wedding for my for my wedding, I wanted to make something really creative. It always bothered me that when you more go than into proposing a on the Today Show. <laughs> yes, I did. I wanted to take that to one step beyond that. And you know, the reason yeah. I proposed on the Today Show is because it's such a part of our life. It was our favorite thing to do together um, when we lived in New York. Um, and even more so now that I'm down in Florida, you know, our favorite thing to do would be what, put the Today Show on, make breakfast. It was like our us time in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I figured if I can make that a part of my life and at the same time I want to capture a moment like no one else could. So I knew that at 8.36 a.m. on March 7, 2015, no one else could own that moment except for me. You know, right. so it, that that was really special to me. 
and that was a lot of planning. And but I, I love how it turned out. And when you look back on it, I'm like, oh my god, what if there was breaking news that day? What if there was, yeah. you know, <laughs> so many things could have gone wrong, and I got so lucky that it all worked out. Yeah. And she said yes, so I'm very thankful. For right. That. Okay. So thank you, Ash. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for our wedding. You know, I really wanted to do something different and special, and it always bothered me when you go to a wedding and, you know, you would have the band or the DJ just introduce you for the first time as a married couple. And it, it, it hit me differently because not a lot of people, like, I didn't have any connection to the band or the DJ. I, I, you know, they don't know me. They're just announcing me for the first time as a married couple. So I made a list of all the people that impacted my life with my now wife, fiance at the time, so it was our favorite TV shows, our favorite actors, our favorite musicians. Um, my wife's always wanted to be on Broadway. So it was all the Broadway stars that, that touched her life. I make this list, and for one year, I reached out to agents, managers, publicists, all asking for these video shout-outs. And my ultimate goal was to put together a really cool intro video that would introduce us to the wedding. So, you know, we had the, the ceremony with the rabbi. Um, everyone goes off into the room. Um, as we're about to party for the first time as a married couple, and then they wanted to introduce us, and I wanted this video to introduce us, and then we'd come in. And I got shot down. I mean, it's a crazy, you think about it. These people don't know me, but, you know, I put together an email, and I would reach out to all these different people that I felt would be connected to these agents and managers. And um, sure enough, a lot of different celebrities and athletes and musicians all offered to help. And, and I put together this really good video that introduced us. And I'm doing another one for our one-year wedding anniversary, which just passed, but I still could produce this video. It'll be okay. Um, but it was more the amount of times I got shot down by people saying, oh, my client would never do this. Like, and then I'm thinking, well, I just sent you my proposal on the Today Show. Like, I'm sure that you get people reaching out to you all the time for things. But I don't know people that go to this extreme. I refuse to take no for an answer please give it a chance, you know, your colleague did it, this person, and, and, and I, the video wasn't for public consumption, it was really just for us. But yeah. it, it, it kind of taught me a little bit along the way about my job saying, like, this is the same thing. I'm not going to take no for an answer. Like, unless you give me a reason why you don't think that you can assist with that, to me, it seems like something really, really, really special. Maybe I'm being biased, but it seems like a special thing. So, the bottom line was I made a really good video, and the second video is maybe even better than the first one. But I'm just the persistence and the passion to make it happen. And someone wrote me back, and they're like, you know, I guess your email for the fourth time threw me over the edge. So here it is. Here's your video. <laughs> You're like, persistence wins in the end. <laughs> always. Always wins yeah. in the end. It does. I mean, you just can't give up. I mean, when people are like, well, I emailed them like three weeks ago, and I'm like, and, you know, um, like people forgot about that email three weeks ago. Um, it's so funny. Well, Mar Marlon, this has been so fun. And I'm so, so glad that we Thank got you. to talk. And um, I love learning about how your brain works. And um, it's just been a super great time. And thank you again. And I will, uh, you know, I will be talking to you soon. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for letting me be on, on the podcast. But also thank you for to your audience for listening and I hope that you took some of this um, I took I hope you took some good good insight out of this because I really um, I really enjoyed being a part of it oh great I'm so glad and I will be in touch with you shortly have, an awesome have a great day, day. you too thanks for tuning in to a street smart MBA with Sarah Shaw be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime anywhere and we'll see you on the next one <laughs>